0: Hi again, I'm Jack Lessenberry, and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast. I've been doing journalism of various kinds since we used typewriters to write and edited audio tapes with an X Acto knife. I've pretty much done everything from being a roving foreign correspondent to a public radio news analyst and a city magazine editor. I've interviewed Gerald Ford about Watergate, Jack of Orkin about suicide, and more governors and senators than I want to admit. What I really want to do on this podcast is tell and share interesting stories with you, getting people to tell stories that reveal sides of themselves that you might never know. I also think I have a pretty good grasp of how Michigan and how government work. And for those of you who have been fans of my daily radio essays, they'll be here too. So make sure to listen as often as you possibly can. And remember, there's no charge for listening twice. And please follow me also on my blog, LessonberryInk, I-N-K-L-I-K-I-N-K-P-E-N-K-N-D-O-T-C-O-M. Well today we're joined by a young man and his father, neither of whom ever had a film course in their lives and who didn't know they couldn't possibly make an award-winning documentary film. (laughs) So they did. Luft Gangster, a fascinating movie about the life of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Jefferson, a member of the legendary Tuskegee Airmen who battled Nazis in the skies over Europe and racism at home in Detroit. Now, filmmaker Mike and his father, Sheldon Rott, operate Dynasty Media Network, which is based in Ferndale, Michigan, and have been just given the go ahead to raise funds for a new movie called Why the Bleep Do They Hate Us, which intends to take a lighthearted approach to fighting anti Semitism worldwide. Mike and Sheldon, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jack. Good to be here. Mike, you're an older. uh, You were once an Apple computer trainer and store manager. And how in the world did you become a movie maker?
1: Well, I actually, um, when I was working at the Apple store, I was teaching the public everything in in digital media. Um, Got very good with film production and editing, and later. Decided, hey, I want to do this full time. This is my dream, my passion, and I wanted to go into business for myself. uh, Given that there were no corporate Apple jobs in Michigan, uh, and I didn't want to be the manager at the Apple store because then you deal with the returns and this and that. I just wanted to teach. I wanted to train. I loved creative. Uh, So, given all that, I went into business for myself and uh, opened up shop in Ferndale and uh, used those skills that I learned while teaching the public how to edit video and this and that uh, to. Turned into what became a actual full-time career in a new that,
0: that's sort of that's sort of amazing film. now sheldon you had a you have a long background in music oh, yeah. and entertainment <laughs> long you long might background. be were able to give no, him any advice
2: yeah well actually the way this film all started was um uh, many years ago i worked with a uh, tuskegee airman and um we uh you know we we were together we, tra- we traveled together around the city and he never really talked about his Tuskegee experience. Right. So um uh, recently I was um at an at a uh, function and there were they told me there's a um a Tuskegee airman that's gonna give a lecture. I said, Well I have to be there because I could never get anything sure. from my from my friend and I always respected the fact that if he didn't wanna talk about it
0: it's it, it true of a lot of people of better at wars. So, yes, yeah.
2: and he and he didn't. So I went to the, and this, uh, lecture was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Jefferson. And it was just fascinating. I couldn't believe what he was saying. So I, 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 I talked to him afterwards. I said, you know, my son opened a studio. I said, it would be a great idea if you could just meet with my son, maybe he'll do a, just a few minute, um, little video and we'll give it to your family. We'll donate it to the Smithsonian. And I talked to Mike and it was all agreed and we met. And we start, Mike started filming, and wow. Mike said, to, <laughs> wouldn't you tell the lieutenant colonel?
1: Well, Colonel said, Jefferson was probably about, about 20 minutes into interviewing him. We were just like, Colonel, do you, can you get a glass of water or anything, you want to take a break? Keep in mind, at the time, he was 93. Right. He's going on 98 now in a couple wow. of months, and the guy's a machine. He just never stops. Right. So we're, we're interviewing him, and he just keeps talking and talking and talking. I'm feeling bad because he's this, this an older gentleman. And uh, then one story after the next, after the next, just become more and more interesting. And I said, Colonel, time out. It's like, your life is a movie.
0: That's right. It's exactly. You know, right. It is <laughs> a movie. It really know. is. He reminded me of Zelig in a way, because, you know, he's he, he gets shot down, he's in a German prison camp, and then, <coughs> excuse me, he gets liberated by Patton, and Patton takes him along to liberate Buchenwald. Was it Buchenwald or Dachau? It was Dachau. 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 Yeah. So, <coughs> but then it's so moving, because... He goes through all these things, he's an authentic hero, and he comes back off the boat, and what happened when he got off the boat back in America?
1: Well, sadly, his welcome back to the United States, coming down the gangplank off the ship in New York Harbor, was a little white soldier at the bottom of the gangplank saying, whites to the right, N-words to the left. Right. And And after all the hell he'd seen and been through, uh, that was his welcome back to America. And that's the way it was in those days, sadly.
0: Well, but it's a fascinating movie. I mean, it's not you—you—you you, you dug up all sorts of archival shots. You—you—you—you you, you, you know, this is amazing. Did you have like a multi-million dollar budget to do this?
2: <laughs> he sold it. I house. should have had a bigger house. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, Mike financed the film uh, from the proceeds of the sale of his house plus uh, other money that he had and I had. And wow. it was all all worth it. It was so, it was su- such a great feeling because when we screened it, and we, we were all over the country, we screened it at the national convention of the Tuskegee Airmen. Wow. And after the movie played, a, a lot of the, uh, the the audience and the people came up to us with tears in their eyes, thanking us for making the film. Well, that's all we needed. It, it, we didn't. There was not a lot of money in documentary films, but. This was more than than, than money. It was just so it's,
0: a, it's, I have to say, it's absolutely compelling. Where can someone see it? I mean, a lot of libraries have it. Is it still being screened?
1: Well, if you go to LuftGangsterMovie.com, that's L-U-F-T, LuftGangsterMovie.com, uh, there's a link where you can um, rent or purchase the video uh, through our Vimeo page. Right. We were on iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else. We've taken that down because we actually... Uh, just struck a distribution deal uh, for international distribution wow. so while we're while we were um, recutting the film we're, we're condensing it down to a one-hour television time slot um, we have a company that's going to distribute it internationally and uh, we're excited we're very excited about that but there was uh, some reasons uh, in that deal that we wanted to have it down from iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else. But if you go to the web page, uh, luftgangstermovie.com, it's on Vimeo. You can see it today.
0: By the way, Luftgangster, Luft is air in German, and right. that's what the Germans called uh, pilots, our, our pilots, because yeah,
2: they, they... They were trying to demonize our pilots. Right. And they called them Luftgangsters, air gangsters. Right. And they said that, that our, our pilots were let out of jail so they could fly airplanes and they could kill little children and right. women. Jails and, and mil- mental institutions, and, and, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> men, and this was how they, they were trying, and we, we did mention this in the film and we asked Lieutenant Colonel, well, how did you feel about being called the air gangsters? He says, well, if they spent the time to make up this program to demonize us, we must have been doing something right. That's right, <laughs> yeah. that's and they, right. And they
1: were. If you get a nickname, you're doing yeah.
0: something. <laughs> now, by the way, the subtitle of the film is "Memoirs of a Second Class Hero." Yes. What tell us about what is that about?
1: Well, it's it is uh, he is unquestionably a hero that was treated like a second class citizen. Right. There's nothing more to it than that. It's that his, his memoirs he was treated as a second class citizen, and he is unquestionably, and all the all those guys from the Tuskegee
0: Airmen. Now, belatedly, that was recognized, right? Wasn't he invited to the White House? Uh,
1: Yes. Actually, the Tuskegee Airmen, they received the Congressional Gold Medal as a unit. And Colonel Jefferson, and it's in the film, it's uh, part of our kind of grand finale segments in the end of the film, but he he gave a a speech before Congress and and the Senate uh, right when they received the Congressional Gold Medal. Yeah, it was amazing. And I think, you know, sticking with Washington, I, I think the moment that I really realized that, hey, we're doing all this effort and this is 100% worth it, we uh, we were invited uh, to speak for, to to screen the film at the National Archives and Records Administration in Washington, wow. D.C. for the U.S. Association of Former Members of Congress. Wow. So I'm sitting there pinching myself thinking... You're a you long know, way from Nine Mile Road. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're a long way from Ferndale, right. Yeah. And uh, uh, the historical impact of the film is something that we're gonna be most proud of because that'll be there long after we're gone. And the fact that the National Archives uh, not only wanted us to screen it, they, they flew us out there and put us up. They, they valued what we did. Mm. And that's the United States National Archives. That was when I knew like, that we, we did something oh, that's yeah, gonna we... be around um, this is a, a film
0: it, uh, for eternity, really. Cause yeah, no yes. one, by the way, it's, uh, this is funny because I don't want to give everything in the movie away, but yeah. at, w- after I first heard about this, I mentioned it, and I saw Gangster. I mentioned to a friend. He said, oh, yeah, I know about them. I saw Red Tails. And uh, yeah, what does um, Colonel Jefferson say about that? There's a great <laughs> scene in the film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he said, anyone see the Red Tails? And the whole audience, everyone rose, uh, rose their hands. And... Um, he said, nothing in that movie is true. <laughs> <That's down>. true. <laughs> <laughs> he well around. he would certainly but know. The, now,
0: I'm excited about your new project. This you know, Why the Bleep Do They Hate Us? And obviously, you know, since you started talking about that, we've had some tragedy, we've had, you know, some of these massacres, Synagogue in Pittsburgh. But yeah. how did you come up with that title?
1: Well, we actually recently changed the title, so it's Why the Bleep Do They Hate Me? Because oh. I'm going to be on camera as the narrator and host and tour guide, navigating this this simple question, um, it it kind of started. My my girlfriend was saying, "You've done so much with social justice and civil rights." She said, "You know, with all this anti-Semitism stuff going on right now, why don't you do a movie about your people?" Right. And I thought, yes. <laughs> there's sure. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The um, the Anti-Defamation League, they released their statistics that uh, document vandalism, harassment, assaults, and even murders against Jewish people and other uh, ethnic and religious minorities. But what you see in the last five, six years is just a steady, steady incline right. in, these, uh, in these numbers, and it's, it it's has no indication that it's slowing down at all. So the movie, Why the Bleep Do They Hate Me? We're going to kind of, it's a heavy subject, but we're going to do it in a youthful, lighthearted, upbeat way that's going to be, it'll be kind of a a jovial, investigative approach Mm -hmm. where I don't have the answers. I don't know all the research. I don't have all the history. I have the questions and I'm just a seemingly naive investigative journalist on a mission to find out why the bleep do they hate me?
0: Now, didn't this stem out. Really
1: non-adversarial. I just want to know where these myths and
0: I think all that this stuff. I think that could be Jewish that people. could be highly useful. Now, didn't you tell? Weren't you in Oklahoma at some time? And somebody asked you <laughs> something that's going to spark this.
1: Yeah. yeah, I lived. I lived in Oklahoma uh, for about a year and a half. And a buddy of mine, he just looked me square in the face and he said, "Hey, Mike. He's like, why does everyone have a problem with Jewish people? And I didn't have a good answer for reform at all. I was like." I don't know, I, I don't know where this, word, you know, it's one of those questions that can be in so many layers. You go back thousands of years, there are uh, things that we're discovering that, uh, for example, the, the church forbade Christians from uh, earning interest off of money lending to other right. Christians. So that became a natural business for Jews who couldn't get jobs in different areas to fall right into.
0: And of course, the the rulers of the yeah. time they needed somebody to borrow money from.
1: Yeah, And, <laughs> right. and, and then you know, so the question becomes: uh, Maybe historically, that's where the greedy Jewish whatever right. kind of stereotypes. Maybe that stuff goes back thousands of years. We're going to find out.
0: In other words, if anyone wants you to pay them back the loan, then they're greedy. Well, no one ever likes the maker <laughs> calling <laughs> back
1: to say, "Hey, where's, yeah. where's, where's where your payment's late?"
0: So. But have you found so so <laughs> how much? Um, tell me. Have you done a lot of research yet?
1: We're just getting started. We we um, it's taken several months, and uh, we had some some very big news that we've been working towards for a long time. We now have been approved by the board of directors in Los Angeles at the Film Collaborative to uh, we've been accepted into their fiscal sponsorship program. What that means for the project is that they are the nonprofit that are taking us in. We are going to. Um, be able to receive contributions, backing, and, and financial support and offer a tax-deductible uh, status, tax-exempt status for people who want to support the film. So you,
0: it'll be tax-deductible. If I, if uh, let's say our engineer Alec here wants to write you a million dollar check, he could deduct that from <laughs> his taxes. He could deduct it, absolutely. That's, well, that's, yeah. a, that's which, good. Is,
1: which is huge for us because if You know we're 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 going to be doing a lot of shooting, a lot of traveling. It's uh, a bigger budget than our first feature film, uh, but it's a much more substantial film in terms of. Are you doing just in the United States,
0: or are you doing other places as well?
1: Uh, We we do intend to shoot in Israel and in Europe, and many places in the United States.
0: So this will be. Do you have a target date for completion?
1: Well, I think once we, basically, we've. Got our fiscal sponsorship in place. We're going to be fundraising aggressively for the next... Uh, well, that's all, That's going to be kind of a full-time job for the next month, and it's going to be uh, something we need to stay on top of with grant writing and everything for, for several months. Sure. But uh, so fundraising, research, pre-production. From that time, I think we will have the whole project done and shot and edited in, uh, I would hope, 10 months
0: to a year. So your your maybe, goal maybe less. Your goal is maybe by the end of twenty twenty. Yes.
1: Yeah. We. Yeah. By the end of twenty twenty, we'll for sure have that done. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Now you've you have I've seen you have a very sort of entertaining trailer about the movie. Is there some place we can go on Facebook or on the internet and see it?
1: Absolutely. If you go to uh, whythebleepfilm.com, dot Why it's going to link Bleep? you right to the Film Collaboratives website with our with our page. Uh, on the Film Collaborative website. So whythebleepfilm.com. And yeah, it's it's a trailer that'll give you kind of a sense of the, the vibe we're going for. Uh, some of the on the back end of the video, there's uh, more of like a historical piece We're going to dive pretty deep on on a a lot
0: of stuff. I like using bleep. Your dad and I can remember back in the days of Richard Nixon's tape that said expletive deleted. But I think think bleep is much better. But, you know, uh, I'm curious about something that I'm sure your dad may have asked you, your mom, like, how do you make a living doing this stuff?
1: (laughs) Uh, Corporate work, corporate video work. Uh, That's what keeps the lights on right now.
0: So if, so if, for example, Zing Media Group wanted to commission a film about, uh, you know, promoting Zing Media Group, they could come to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, uh, you were, for a while, you were doing a, a Korean financial program. Yeah. At, yeah. Uh, so, so you're an all-purpose studio. Oh, yeah. That was
1: an, that was an interesting job. And that, that actually, uh, that, that flexed all of our creative and technical muscles. We, uh, we shot for a um, Korean financial news network called MTN. We shot a daily financial broadcast mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that had to start at market close, but had to be broadcast on the air one hour later. Well, it was a 13 so hour time <laughs> difference, right, so yeah. Yeah, so we shot, edited, and uploaded uh, their MTX files to their, their network in one hour every day.
2: How's your but Korean? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't understand a word of what was being said, but yeah. That's okay. Inter- I don't want to look at Wall Street anyway. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is, we were brought we were brought, um, filming this in Ferndale, Michigan. Then we had people in uh, New York, and um, we England, London, England, Tel Aviv, mm-hmm. and Korea. South Korea. So we, we had five different locations working on this show and it was all down to the second yeah. and it was wow. so intense that i figured you know i don't know if i can take this <laughs> but, but it, five, five different yeah. locations it changing to, the to script plugging in financial and numbers translating translating, translating. Wow. they're translating and changing script and it was uh, unbelievable we're, we're all on a google doc but you can was, see what everyone's exactly. doing there's
1: five people <laughs> clicking different stuff and it was just like so. Also, But so. you know jack you I, wanted,
2: I wanted to add one thing about you know mike's Really, his thing is so uh, is uh, socially conscious films. Right. And w- going back to the Love Gangster, one thing that Lieutenant Colonel Jefferson said, he was talking about his early years, and he was they were the first black family in a white neighborhood. Right. And um, he said that there were all different kinds of ethnic people living there. This in is Detroit in the nineteen twenties. Detroit on Twenty Eighth Street. Yeah. And he said, you know, he says, the Russian people hated the Polish people. And the, and the Lithuanian people hated the Russian people, and this one hated that one. And he said, I'm black in this neighborhood. I didn't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it got me thinking, you know, there's been a lot of hate for a lot of years with a lot of different groups. It's not exclusive to one. Because, you know, if, if sure. they're anti-Semitic, there's always somebody that's, that's next in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but we're kind of thinking that with after this first film, Mike's going to do a series of films on, right, on, on hate. Because any direction, years ago I once had an Italian fellow said, you know, he said, they, they really hate me in the city here because I tried to get something done. They really hate me. I said, why do they hate you? He said, because I'm Italian. I said, what? <laughs> I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. But then you look. You know Ireland and England and all that. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a lot of hate to, to go do, around. Do you think? Do you think so, a
0: lot of it's based on misunderstanding?
2: So. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I and mean, just people don't know each other. They don't. Exactly. They don't know one another.
0: Now, That's not, now you, um, I want to ask you. You were years and years ago part of mm-hmm. the uh, capital group that brought the Beatles to Michigan, right, and right. and uh, um, you know the entertainment business. You've been a band leader.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. For uh, many
0: years. Um, Your wife, who I have a big crush on, was a a, a singer. (laughs) Her her stage name was Vicki Carroll. Vicki Carroll.
2: Anyone out there remembers. Uh, She was actually hired by Decca Records to take uh, Patsy Cline's place when Patsy uh, passed away. That famous
0: plane crash in 63, was it? 64?
2: Yeah. And uh, Mike uh, found some old uh, kinescope tapes in the basement and some recordings, and he put it all on uh, YouTube. Oh, wonderful! It's all out there. pretty Carol. There yeah, we got her, her, her. Jimmy Durante. Jimmy, Jimmy Durante, and she has a bee, a beehive hairdo that's about four feet tall. Right. Like, uh, and
0: <laughs> that's amazing. And, uh, um, and you lured her away from Feyman. Uh, well,
2: yeah. George. I. Uh, I. Well, she was in town recording for a Chevrolet uh, commercial, and my partner, who was at the studio, we were we were songwriters and producers. He called me up. He said. Vicki Carroll's here, her contract is expiring with Decca, and maybe we could do something. So I said, yeah, that, well, great. We set up a meeting, and then um, I convinced her to sign a marriage contract instead of a... <laughs> <to> <laughs> 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 well, the so yeah, rest sitting right well, next to I, <laughs> I, I guess.
0: But what I wanted to ask you from your professional standpoint, can you really establish a successful movie studio
2: in a place like Detroit? Metropolitan. It, Detroit. It's it's difficult, um, but but you can because I've seen, um, I've seen record uh, producers being rejected by everyone all over the country, and then uh, I, I'm going back years ago. There was a Spider Turner put out a a record called uh, it was a copy of Stand By Me, where he imitated different type singers, different singers singing that that song. Everyone turned it down in the in the country. And this fella that I went to school with didn't know the first thing about music. He didn't realize the beats were turned around and things, but he uh, he backed it, and it was a smash hit. It was just it was a it was a national hit, and uh, MGM picked it up. In fact, I wrote uh, my partner and I wrote uh, one of the songs on the album. But they MGM said, well, we're, you have to put out an album, but you only have two weeks to do it. <laughs> so. Day and night, they were recording. I bet. So that that sometimes something small, uh, like one of the fellows from American Airlines, uh, told us. And I had a laptop uh, in front of me, and I was composing music for the film. And I'm figuring with headsets on. I figure, do I do I realize what I'm doing? I'm in an airplane, right? And composing, <laughs> and I got string sections, and I have. Horns and everything, and it's, it's just a mind-boggling.
0: So you can do you all that, today. but we haven't been able to solve the basic problem of anti-Semitism and racism. Well, that's, which yeah. you're now, working that's on. What, now Mike's.
2: Yeah. He's good, so we're we're trying. We're we're going to help. We're going to help I resolve just, that and, and, and other uh, another. Yeah, that's right, exactly.
1: And I, I just figure that you know, we'll talk specifically about this project. Am I going to change the hearts and minds of neo-Nazis or Islamic jihadists? Uh, that would be nice, but I don't count on that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm not not a gambling man, but I don't like my chances. You're aiming at the um, other ninety nine point five yeah, percent. Yeah, you know, having lived in Oklahoma City, there were people, friends of mine, that have not only not met a Jewish person in their life, looked at me as you're Jewish. What do you do? Like, right. I have my laundry. I got a job. I like this girl. I hope she calls me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not. We're just kind of people. It wasn't. Uh, there is a lot.
0: the fr- friend of mine who's Jewish and who covered the Yom Kippur War went off to East Jordan, Michigan, to ask people what they thought about. He says, "We think they're a bunch of Jews." And he said, "Well, what are Jews?" He said, "We don't rightly know, but we think they're kind of Baptist." So, <laughs> so, so, but you, you know, yeah. by dispelling. The spelling ignorance has been shown that that, you know,
1: solves a lot of things. Yeah, it's just, you know, we want to uh, kind of have an introduction to Jewish daily life and culture right. uh, for people that have never had an opportunity to, to meet a Jewish person in their entire life. I mean, a lot of the comedians that uh, are probably their favorite people to watch on television are Jewish. They may not exactly. have, even have any idea. You know, right,
0: They probably don't. <laughs> again, where can mm-hmm. we tell, give us the address again. If someone's listening, where can they check out your work?
1: Okay, so whythebleepfilm.com will get you to the, uh, the trailer for the new movie. And then on dynastymedianetwork.com is our production company. And uh, that will have more information about uh, The Lift Gangster and Why the Bleep.
0: And uh, you'll be putting out updates about the project as it goes along. Yes. And, the and they,
1: could, they could like uh, the Facebook page for the new movie would be great. And uh, shares are always appreciated. Cool. And it's uh, why the bleep do they hate me on Facebook. That's fascinating.
0: Sheldon, any last parting words of wisdom yeah, no, you want to add? I'm very
2: excited to be uh, involved in, in uh, work on this new project. It's... Um, There's been a lot done and a lot said in in all directions, but Mike's approach, I think, is going to be directed toward college students and younger people, and um, I think it's gonna be very helpful in the big picture. It's
0: fascinating. Oh, the only thing that I ask is that when you get around to doing the movie about why the bleeps are the hate journalist, that I get to bed <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I have a bedroll? Well, Mike Rod Sheldon. The, that might have to be a serious. That <laughs> might have to be. A, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that'll be your hardest <laughs> one of all. Yeah, Mike Rod Sheldon, Rod, thanks for coming in today. Well, that's about it for this podcast, except for my signature essay. But please check out my blog, lessonberryinc.com. That's ink like an ink pen. And click the button and subscribe. And listen to our next episode soon. Tell your friends and feel free to send me a message on Facebook or via email. This is your cheerful old curmudgeon, Jack Lesenberry. I'm off to oil my manual typewriter now, but I'll be back with a hopefully fascinating other new topic soon. Thank you very much for listening. Chances are that as you're reading this, someone is screening the magnificent movie Luftgangster, Memoirs of a Second-Class Hero, a documentary about the amazing life of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Jefferson, a Detroit teacher who was a pilot in the Tuskegee Airmen in World War II, survived being shot down in the prison camp, and returned to face discrimination at home in Detroit. The movie is spellbinding, heartwarming, and has been wowing audiences since it was released in 2016. Gary Sinise has plugged it. It was chosen the best documentary feature by the prestigious Los Angeles International Underground Film Festival, won a similar award in Albuquerque, and was nominated for a slew of other honors. So who made the movie? Which studio produced it? Would you believe a young man named Mike Rott, an entirely self-taught filmmaker who went into business with his dad, Sheldon, and created the Dynasty Media Network? They aren't in Hollywood. They're headquartered in an old brick building on Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan. Mike Rod, at 39, one of the older millennials, had a career as a trainer for Apple computers out west before he decided that wasn't what he wanted to do with his life. So he came back home, rented the sprawling old Ferndale building, and started teaching himself everything he could learn about film. I never had a day of film school, he said. Yeah, well, neither did Daryl Zanuck. What Rott did have was a keen mind, a thorough knowledge of technology, and something Cecil B. DeMille never imagined. YouTube. I've taught myself from studying a million YouTube videos, he told me. Sheldon Rott, a producer and music director, knows something about show business. Back in the day, he was part of the team at Capitol Records who brought a young group called The Beatles to Detroit. I couldn't be more proud of him, Sheldon said of his son. Dynasty Media Network is a full-service multimedia company the day I visited, they were producing a financial news broadcast for a Korean TV station about the beam at the Seoul when the U.S. stock market closed. They also do everything from training films to digitizing old media for people like the Automotive Hall of Fame to providing live streaming services for various events. They even provide some technical and computer training if you're willing to pay for it. Filmmaking is my first love, but for right now, this is the bread-and-butter stuff that pays the bills, Rot said. Film projects take two years to get off the ground. The good news is that recently, he got approved for fundraising for a film that could have really wide appeal. Why the Bleep Do They Hate Me? will be a movie about anti-Semitism, with Mike Rott playing a supposedly naive cultural anthropologist, showing up everywhere from campuses to bars to bowling alleys, trying to answer the movie title's question. Think of a sort of warmer, younger, and more athletic... Michael Moore. The idea, of course, is to start with a light-hearted approach and lay the groundwork for a deeper understanding of anti-Semitic myths and propaganda. That's a timely topic and one that could be the first in the series of similar films. You could easily imagine a Muslim, African American, and, and Hispanic version of Why the Bleep Do They Hate Me? Films that rot hopes might reduce ethnic misunderstanding. Of course, self-taught guys in Ferndale aren't supposed to be able to make successful movies that reach a broad audience. Except, Mike Rod already has. As a supposedly impartial journalist, am I rooting for Dynasty Media Network to succeed? Damn right. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining me today on the Zing Media Network. I hope you'll be looking out for other offerings soon.